You are listening to Dermcast.tv, the official online media resource for the Society of Dermatology PAs. So we're going to talk about the CTCLs over the next hour. Uh, let's see. Uh, Brian, it's not moving. Brian? Oh, there it is. Okay. All right. So the CTCLs, it's really a very broad topic that can get quite complex. So over the next hour, we're going to um, talk about CTCL in a relatively broad way. So I want to give you a nice overview of the CTCLs, because they're multiple diseases, so that you can categorize and organize them when you hear people throw the different names around, like mycosis fungoides, for example. And then I want to expose you to mycosis fungoides specifically, as well as some of its variants, because they're the most common type of CTCL that you're going to um, see. And I want to share an algorithm that I learned in residency um, that I use to help me diagnose early mycosis fungoides, because it can be tricky when patients first present. And Fortunately or unfortunately, this is not going to be an exhaustive review of the treatment of CTCL, the immunology, or the histology. We'll touch a little bit on treatment because I think that we should all be able to um, do some first-line management for these patients. So in your skin, you have these skin-homing T-cells. They traffic between the skin and the lymph nodes, but they really live in the skin, and their, their goal is to look for trouble and protect you um, and, and grab antigens that come in contact with the skin. However, when these cells go bad, when they become lymphoproliferative, that's a CTCL, right? So the CTCLs in general are a heterogeneous group of lymphoproliferative disorders of these skin-homing T cells. And all of the CTCLs vary in terms of how they present, um, their histology, their immunophenotype, um, and their prognosis. And you can divide the CTCLs nicely into those that behave in an indolent manner and those that are more aggressive. And the, indol the two of the indolent um, CTCLs are mycosis fungoides and its many variants. And those are the ones that we're going to focus on today. On the aggressive side, one that you may have heard of is Cesare syndrome and um, adult T-cell leukemia lymphoma, which is caused by HTLV infection. And we'll talk about that a little bit because one subtype of ATLL looks just like MF clinically. This is a little hard to read, but the point of this slide was to show you the difference, the true difference between these indolent CTCLs and the aggressive CTCLs. And you can see here this five-year disease-specific survival. So in, if someone is diagnosed with MF, for example, in five years, they have an 80, is that an eight? 88% chance of being alive. Whereas if someone is diagnosed with Cesare syndrome, they have a 24% chance, chance of being alive in five years. So you can see a big difference between the numbers up here 
among the indolent types of CTCLs compared to some of these down here. Some of them don't even have five-year disease-specific survival rates because patients don't even make it that far. All right, so let's talk about <clears throat> MF. So MF is generally more common in men, but that is not necessarily true in African-Americans. So black women are more likely to develop MF and Cesare syndrome than black men, whereas white men are more likely to develop MF and Cesare syndrome than white women. And black patients overall are more likely to present at an earlier age. And um, we've seen, and actually it's now in the literature, that black women who present at a young age, so under 40 or under, tend to do very poorly with this disease. And the most important prognostic factors relating to outcome with MF is black race, being diagnosed at a younger age, if you present with more advanced disease, which makes sense, um, and you know, you always have worse survival. Let's see. And so in terms of the clinical presentation of MF, the classic, when I was in residency, when I just started residency, the classic description of MF was that it was a disease of older white men and that it presented with pink, red, annular or arcuate patches and plaques and sun-protected areas like the buttocks. But now, you know, we know actually this all happened over the last 10 years that really that epidemiology wasn't uh, true. And in fact, patients with skin of color uh, tend to get MF more than white patients. And that classic picture of erythema that we were looking for, it's really more about dispigmentation, um, but in the same areas of the skin. So let's talk about patch stage MF, which is usually the earliest stage. It can look eczematous. It can look psoriasiform, it can be itchy or not, and many patients have this subtle atrophy. It's an epidermal atrophy where you get this fine wrinkling of the skin. People call it cigarette paper wrinkling. Um, you can have poikilderma, um, and of course, dispigmentation if you have uh, pigment in your skin. And as I've mentioned many times this weekend, it has a predilection for the bathing suit distribution, so areas that are usually covered by two layers of clothing. And the lesions tend to be classically larger, so more than four centimeters, and they tend to be annular or arcuate. That's the classic finding, but you know the disease doesn't read the textbook, so I've definitely seen MF where the lesions are much smaller than that. And this is my patient who I've shown you a couple times this weekend already, uh, where his MF presented almost like vitiligo, where he had hypopigmentation and depigmentation, but again, in the sun-protected areas. Another patient with hypopigmented uh, mycosis fungoides, or hypopigmented MF, and she did not have the classic more than four centimeter size lesions. Her lesions were actually quite small, and could easily pass for progressive macular hypomelanosis uh, or tinea versicolor, uh, but this was MF. And <clears throat> I think I mentioned this as well yesterday in one of the smaller sessions, but we found that patients with skin of color and MF can have facial lesions, which is not what we would expect because, again, MF is supposed to hide from the sun, 
but we believe that the constitutive pigment in people with darker skin, skin tones protects, the, um, protects the, the malignant cells in the skin from the sun exposure that's supposed to chase them away. So patients with skin of color can develop lesions really almost anywhere, including sun-exposed areas, like my patient here who had lesions on the arms uh, and on the face. I put this picture on your left just because I thought it was a nice depiction of that atrophy, that cigarette paper, um, fine wrinkling that you can see within MF lesions. I think that could be a dead giveaway that it's not plain eczema or, or you know, tinea versicolor. That, that is, is, once you've seen it a couple times, you won't miss it. We also know that <clears throat> lesions can be hyperpigmented uh, in MF. And they can also be hyperkeratotic, uh, especially in patients with skin of color. Here's an example of tumor stage MF, uh, where you develop uh, tumors or nodules. Um, and these, to me, tumors don't always tend to be in the double covered areas. They can really occur anywhere on the skin. Then plaque stage MF is characterized by thicker lesions, more infiltration. It can, can be scaly, but doesn't have to be. And again, that annular or polycyclic or horseshoe shape is pretty characteristic. And then another patient with tumor stage um, disease. So once you start seeing tumors or erythroderma, um, that definitely heralds an increased risk of extracutaneous disease. Uh, when you start getting more worried that the patient could have blood involvement, uh, lymph node involvement, um, and you know, you generally don't see skin tumors without seeing some of the, the previous stages of MF. So uh, it's rare that a patient with MF would just develop a tumor out of nowhere. They probably had patch or plaque stage disease beforehand. Another example of an MF tumor, this one's on the scalp. And the tumors can erode, especially if they grow very quickly and outgrow their blood supply. So let's talk about diagnosing MF. This may not be in a textbook or a paper, um, but this was taught to me by Dr. Peter Heald, who is one of the CTCL experts in this country. And I had the privilege of training with him in residency. And so the way he broke it down, and I've not found another way to do this that's more efficient, I think. Uh, he says, you think about the morphology of the lesions, right? So the stuff we just talked about, more than four centimeters, annular or arcuate, scale, atrophy, poikiloderma. You think about the distribution of the lesions, and the classic distribution would be your double covered areas. And then you think about the histopathology. So what did your pathologist tell you? Did they find epidermotropism? Did they find um, uh, atypical appearing T cells? And then you categorize those things into, um, are they classic? Are they consistent, meaning it could be classic? Or is it completely atypical? And if you have two classic findings, it's MF. If you have one classic and two consistent, it's MF. But any atypical findings in this algorithm, it's probably not, or you need to rebiopsy at a later time. And we'll go through a few examples so we can sort of practice using 
this algorithm. Okay, so what, what, what do we think? Is this enough? She had, so, so this is a buttock, right? So this, well, let's think about morphology first. So these are erythematous, relatively annular. You can sort of see the annular uh, appearance here off to the side. So it's pretty classic appearance. She had some atrophy. It's hard to tell on the photo. Then we think about loc the location, the distribution. That's pretty classic distribution, right? It's on the buttocks. So you already have two classic features. So to me, this is already MF. The biopsy for me, for this patient, will be icing on the cake. When we biopsied her, the first biopsy showed enlarged lymphocytes, epidermis contains lymphocytes, that's epidermotropism. That's a pretty classic biopsy. So she has three classic findings, but the, the second biopsy, because we always do two biopsies for MF, we'll talk about that, showed granulomas, which it's not classic for MF. So let's say we only had that second biopsy where it just showed granulomas, not what you expect. Well, for me, it wouldn't matter because she already made two classic uh, findings, the location and the morphology of the lesions. Oh, geez, I gave you the answer. Is this MF? <laughs> All right, everybody should get this right now. <laughs> I don't think we've ever had 100% on any, uh, you know, any of these. There's always one person who says something else, so good job. All right, so we, 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 we talked about her a little bit. So let's move on to the next one, and I'll give you a chance to answer yourself. So is this MF? And this is what his biopsy looked like. And I'll tell you that this is epidermotropism. See these large blue cells? They shouldn't be in the epidermis. Those are atypical lymphocytes in the epidermis. All right. Is this MF? Yes, no, or I'm not sure. Okay, two-thirds of you think it's yes, 10% say no, and a quarter aren't sure. So let's go through uh, our little algorithm here. So he had a classic morphology. He had hypopigmented, hyperpigmented patches. They were more than four centimeters. Many of them were annular. And his distribution wasn't classic, although I, did show, I didn't show you his buttocks or his thighs, for example, uh, but his lesions were mostly on his back and chest. But they're not the classic areas, but they're not really sun exposed either, right? So his chest and back, the average person is wearing a shirt or even two layers of clothing. The average man is wearing two layers of clothing on his trunk. So I would call his distribution consistent. It's possible. And then his pathology was actually pretty classic. He had classic epidermotropism and atypical lymphocytes. So again, he had two classic findings, the morphology and the histopath. That's enough. This was MF. 
And then what about this one? And this was her pathology. The pathology showed um, just, you know, lots of um, lymphocytes and uh, neutrophils around the hair follicles, but the epidermis was pretty pristine. So is this MF? Yes, no, I'm not sure. All right, so half of you think this is not MF, and you are right. So her morphology was, if you remember, was very linear. She had these linear hyperpigmented patches. So that's pretty atypical. They were less than four centimeters as well. So she already has one atypical finding. She did have a classic distribution, right? Double covered areas. So she, it was in her axilla. Um, and her, her path was okay. It was consistent to atypical. There was no epidermotropism, um, but she had some CD4 lymphocytes in the epidermis and around the hair follicle. So this is unlikely to be MF, right? It's sort of all over the place. She has, the only classic finding she has is where the lesions are located, and that was not MF, it was lichen planus pigmentosus inversus, which um, the, the biopsy can look just like MF, but it's not. All right, so, you know, I hope, it's in your handout, I hope that, you know, you'll be able to practice this with, you know, the next patient who comes in, where you're, you even, think, could, could it be MF? There are lesions on the buttocks and thighs. There are lesions on the upper inner arms. I'm not sure what it is. Maybe it's eczema. Try to fit them into this algorithm and see, see how you do. Um, and then uh, do a biopsy more, more often than not so that you can find MF and it's not, um, you're not missing it. All right, so in terms of our workup, once we've diagnosed someone with MF, I tend to do a CBC a CMP, an LDH, and an HTLV1 in, in select patients. So the LDH is one of those tests that I was taught to do. I've never really seen an, an abnormal LDH in an MF patient, but I, I still do it and I, I, I may actually stop. Um, but I have to look at the literature to see what the evidence is for us doing this. But that's, you know, uh, the standard workup. I do HTLV1 because, as I mentioned briefly earlier, ATLL, which is um, a, a form of an, a, one of the aggressive forms of CTCLs, is caused by HTLV1 infection. And one of the subtypes of ATLL, the smoldering subtype, can look just like MF. But they're treated very differently, and their prognosis, um, it's very different. So you do want to, to know if HTLV1 is involved. Um, HDLV1 is endemic in certain parts of the world, so the Caribbean basin and some parts of Asia, Japan in particular. So if your patients are from these parts of the world, um, I would consider testing them for HTLV1. But the other thing about HTLV1 is it is vertically transmitted from mother to child. So even if your patient was born in the United States, uh, you need to find out where, where their mother was born. Uh, because they could still have HDLV1 even if they spent all of their years um, in the U.S. I do a flow cytometry of the blood uh, for pretty much all of my patients. Patients who are stage 1A, meaning they have patch stage disease, 
uh, less than 10% body surface area involvement. I'll sometimes skip the flow cytometry for those patients, but really everybody else, we do at least a baseline flow cytometry. One of my colleagues at Hopkins who sees a lot of CTCL patients, um, he, uh, I believe he tests everyone with flow cytometry, even stage one, because he's had a few surprises in the past. And again, that totally changes your treatment, um, your treatment path if blood involvement is found. Uh, we do multiple broad shave biopsies to get as much epidermis as possible so that the pathologist can really examine um, for epidermotropism and look for those atypical uh, T cells. And I would take those biopsies from sun protected areas and I would make sure that the patient hasn't been applying topical steroids for at least two weeks and that they haven't had sun exposure, whether, whether it's your phototherapy or they went on vacation, make sure that they, those areas were not exposed to sun uh, because the sun and topical steroids will chase away uh, the neoplastic T cells that you're looking for. If you have plaques or tumors, then a punch biopsy is fine um, because uh, you'll, you'll have enough uh, T cells to look at in the punch. If you suspect folliculotropism, which we'll talk about in a little bit, you do want to do a punch biopsy so that you can get hair follicles in your biopsy to evaluate for that folliculotropism. Uh, TCR gene rearrangement can be done on your biopsy um, tissues. You're more likely to find clonality, so you're testing for clonality uh, when you do this test, and you're more likely to, to find clonality as you progress through the stages. So by the time you have tumor stage or erythrodermic MF, up, you know, most of, uh, most of the time you'll find clonality. But you can find clonality in benign disorders as well. So clonality by itself doesn't tell you that it's MF or that it's malignant. Uh, clonality is actually most helpful if you do two or three biopsies and the same clone is found in all three of the biopsies, that's more information than clonality per se. In terms of imaging, um, some, some centers will just do a chest x-ray at baseline. Uh, some centers will do a CT scan or a PET scan. I've never gotten a PET scan covered or even a CT scan covered for these patients. And I've even stopped doing a chest x-ray. I do a good lymph node exam check for hepatosplenomegaly, do flow cytometry, and these, uh, these, um, these blood tests. And the management of MF depends, of course, on the stage. If patients have limited disease, meaning 1A or 2A disease, and 1A disease means you have patches um, or plaques that are less than 10% of the body surface area, 1B it's greater than 10% of body surface area. If you have lymphadenopathy, palpable lymphadenopathy, you're at stage 2A. Those patients can be treated with skin-directed therapies, so topical steroids, phototherapy, topical bexarotene, which I haven't had a lot of luck with, topical nitrogen mustard, which can work quite well, especially when a patient isn't able to use the other options. Um, or spot radiotherapy or total skin electron beam therapy. And well, we'll talk about total skin in a little bit, but here's one more question for you. Which of the following treatment modalities for MF is more likely to result in a complete response? Is it PUVA, narrowband UVB, or both types are equally effective?
All right, so we had a nice split here. Um, and actually, PUVA has been shown to be more likely to give you a complete response in MF. They're both effective, though. And many of us actually no longer have PUVA in our offices, which is um, a cause of some consternation for us who see CTCL and for people who see a lot of patients with skin of color, um, because we think that PUVA may be more effective in darker skin type. And I'm saying maybe because a lot of great studies haven't been done on this, but um, PUVA has a longer, UVA has a longer wavelength, penetrates deeper into the skin. And so if you have plaques, if you have uh, folliculotropic disease, then PUVA is the better option because the light really gets to as deep as you need it to get. And here's another ARS question for you. Which of the following treatment modalities for MF is the most cost-effective? PUVA, narrowband, radiation therapy, topical steroids, or topical nitrogen mustard? Nice spread. Um, most people thought it would be topical steroids, which, right, that makes sense. That you would think that topical steroid is cheaper, but there's this nice study where they looked, they compared um, all of these different therapies uh, for MF uh, for cost effectiveness, and radiation was actually the most cost effective, um, partly because the probability of remission was so high, 94% probability of remission, and the probability of relapse was lower than the others. If you look here at topical bexarotene, you know, given the cost of bexarotene, a 25% chance of remission and a 50% chance of relapse, that cost is just too high. Um, and even topical steroids, if you think about the amount of topical steroids that you would have to use um, and the risk of long-term use of topical steroids for just a 63% chance of remission and a 40% chance of relapse. So I, I thought this was a, a nice um, study because I uh, was trained at a place where total skin electron beam radiation was routinely used for MF. Um, and we saw really good results, especially if you put the patient on some kind of maintenance therapy afterwards, like phototherapy. But once I left uh, Connecticut, I've actually found it very difficult to, to find a place for my patients to do electron beam. So there are a few centers around the country. Stanford is one of them. Yale is one of them. Um, Penn as well. Those are the three that I know for sure. I send many of our patients to Penn. Uh, we don't even have one in D.C. Um, so, you know, depending on where you live, uh, you can look on the Cutaneous Lymphoma Foundation and you, sh you may be able to find a center closest to you that way. But that is a real true option for MF patients, even with uh, lower stage disease. And they have a really good shot of getting clear. Um, and then you maintain with something as benign as phototherapy. So patients get radiation uh, Monday to Friday for nine to 10 weeks. Um, they can also get local spot radiation therapy for um, troublesome lesions, stubborn lesions that aren't responding to phototherapy, for example, or even tumors. Um, radiation penetrates 
down to the dermis, no further than that. And they've also recently shown that lower dose regimens, uh, much lower than the doses we were using, say, 10 years ago, are also as effective and they have less chances of side effects. And of course, they're delivered at academic centers, uh, usually by radiation oncologists. And then for advanced stage MF, you know, that's when I would certainly refer these patients out to a CTCL expert in your area or the nearest academic center where they'll have, you know, just the opportunity to uh, be part of clinical trials or get some of the systemic treatments like interferon, oral bexarotene, varinostat, and those are your patients with tumors, erythroderma, or positive lymph nodes. This is here just for the purposes of your handout. It's a nice algorithm uh, when, you, uh, when, you, when you've staged your patient. And so and what I mean by staging your patient is, let's say you diagnose someone with MF. You can, even if your plan is to refer them out, you can start the workup um, for them while they're waiting for their appointment, meaning you can get the blood work we talked about. You can, um, if they had palpable lymph nodes, you can arrange for them to have that lymph node biopsy. These would, these, this would all be extremely helpful, your flow cytometry of the blood. All of this information should go with them to the CTCL center that you're sending them to. Um, so it, it just speeds up the process when they get there. So let's talk about the types of MF. So not, not, the, not the true subtypes, but just the, the clinical types of MF that you could see. And I call them the good, the bad, and the ugly, because some of them portend a really good prognosis, so you want to see them. So hypopigmented MF, for example, generally has a really good prognosis. It's, more, it's the more common type in children, um, the more common type that we see in skin of color. And it usually shows CD8 positive cells, and that by itself is a good sign, because the CD8 cells, we believe, are cytotoxic, and so they might be actually helping your body to, to fight uh, the, the, um, the bad cells. So hypopigmented MF, not necessarily um, a bad thing in children. They, it tends not to progress to systemic disease. But again, I, I wouldn't necessarily um, mess around with hypopigmented MF either. You treat it and make sure that it doesn't have a chance to do anything. Then there's unilesional MF, where patients get a single typical MF lesion in a typical area, usually on the hips, buttocks, or breast, axilla. It responds really well to just topical therapy, usually. Or you can do localized radiation, just blast it, goes away. It often doesn't come back, or if it recurs, it'll recur in the same area, and progression is very unlikely. Here's an example of this, if this is the only lesion on this patient's body. That could be unilesional MF. And then there's poikilodermatous MF, where, which is classic MF with poikilodermia, you know, uh, predom predominating the clinical picture. And poikilodermia is hypopigmentation, hyperpigmentation, atrophy, and telangiectasias. And this is just a nice picture in lighter skin of what a poikilodermatous patch of MF would look like. And here it is in, in darker skin. And then there's the pigmented purpura-like MF, where the lesions are in the classic MF distributions, but it looks like pigmented purpura. Um, and these can be clonal uh, as well. 
And so here's an example of a pigmented purpura-like mycosis fungoides. These are all not too bad. If you see these, you treat them like regular MF, um, and uh, patients usually do quite well. Now there's another type called ichthyosiform MF, more rare, of course. These are widespread ichthyosiform lesions. They can have lots of comedones and keratotic papules. It tends to prefer the lower extremities and can be very, very itchy. And we preferentially treat these patients with oral retinoids in combination with uh, phototherapy. And here's an example from the literature of a patient with uh, ichthyosiform MF. And then these are some of the bad ones, right? So granulomatous MF, it, it, so you biopsy the patient, they have a similar pathology to MF, but they have histiocytes and granulomas. It could even be sarcoidal or GA-like. Um, and these patients are much more likely to progress to systemic disease. They, re they don't respond very well to uh, skin-directed therapy compared to regular MF. And so um, this, is, is, this is not one of the good ones, this one. Uh, you would want to be much more aggressive uh, sooner and refer them, refer them out. And then there's syringotropic MF, which was actually the first, my first MF patient in residency was a man at the VA with uh, syringotropic MF um, on, his, on his feet, actually. Um, so, but I've never seen it since, so it's quite rare. Basically, they have eccrine involvement of the MF, so it's like follicular tropism, and so the hair follicle and your sweat glands are involved. Um, you can have hair loss in the affected areas and anhydrosis, so a lack of sweating because the um, eccrine glands have been affected. And all reported cases to date have been in men, and the acral sites are much more common, and my VA patient, he had it on his feet. And here's a photo from, from the literature. And then there's vesiculobullous MF, which uh, again, it's a, it's a bad type. It's a pemphigus-like MF, uh, where they have MF in the typical areas and the lesions can become bullous. The DIF is negative, so this is how uh, you would differentiate it from like, bullous pemphigoid or one of the other immunobullous diseases. And here's another photo from, from the literature. And then you have transformed MF. You may hear people talk about this MF with large cell transformation. So basically, um, that's usually associated with disease progression. And you're more likely to develop transformation at higher disease stages. So um, you know, by the time you're stage four disease, you have a 50% chance of developing transformed MF. And once you've transformed, your median survival drops to about two years. And in five years, you have a 33% chance of, of being here with us still. So it's, it's really not a good sign. And um, the prognostic factors for transformed MF, if you already have um, advanced disease at the time of transformation, of course, that's not a good sign. If you have onset of transformation within two years of your diagnosis, meaning your disease is moving quickly, uh, progressing rapidly, that's not usually a good sign. If you have extracutaneous sites of transformation, so not just a lesion in the skin, uh, but in the lymph nodes, um, that's also bad. And if you have an elevated LDH and this beta-2 microglobulin test, um, that's not available everywhere. But if, if those are elevated, then your, your survival is, is less as well. And the signs of transformation, let's say you have a 
long-standing patient, they've been doing well, they have indolent MF, and then all of a sudden, they develop a new tumor or a new nodule within an existing patch of MF. You really want to biopsy that new nodule um, and ask your pathologist, tell them you're looking for transformation. Is there an abrupt change in the disease, an abrupt change in response to your treatment or lack thereof? Um, so just re-biopsy if someone's MF starts doing something funny. So even if you have a patient, you refer them out to someone who's helping manage their MF, but you're seeing them periodically, this is still important because you're gonna see them perhaps more often than the academic center. They may have to drive an hour or two too. So when you're doing your surveillance, you're seeing them every three to six months. If something changes, don't hesitate to re-biopsy uh, to make sure that uh, something isn't amiss. So with MF patients, when to worry? When should your like, hackles go up and say, you know what, I'm sending you to someone who does this for a living? If they're diagnosed at an older age, if they're, if they're over 60, black patients with MF, especially young women, get them out. Blood involvement, don't forget to check your flow cytometry. Even if they have very low stage disease, early disease, if they have blood involvement, they need to get extracorporeal photophoresis or and or interferon and oral bexarotene, send them out, refer them out. If they have palpable lymph nodes, send them out because they'll need a lymph node biopsy at the very least. If they have a high tumor burden, so even if someone has patch stage disease, but 85% of their body surface area is covered, they have a high tumor burden and they may need systemic therapy, not just phototherapy. Certainly if they develop large cell transformation, and if when you do that LDH that I've done for all these years, I never got a high one, if your LDH is high or this random beta-2 microglobulin test um, that I've actually never done because it's not available where I am, um, if either of those are high, you send them out. I've also found that if patients have peripheral eosinophilia, um, I believe that that portends a, a poorer prognosis. Um, we've done, we did a small study a few years ago uh, that convinced us of that. And these patients tend to be more itchy. Um, they tend to be a bit more uncomfortable. I would send them out so they can get systemic therapy. And certainly if they have any of the subtypes that, are, that fall into my you know, good, bad, ugly category, if they're in the bad or the ugly category, like your syringotropic, folliculotropic, or granulomatous MF, I would send them out. The good prognostic factors are good prognostic uh, MFs, hypopigmented MF, poikilodermatous. If they have lymphomatoid papulosis and MF, that's usually a good sign. CD8 positivity on their pathology, that's usually a good sign. But again, I would still maybe send them out for another opinion and you can co-manage with a CTCL expert. All right, so in our last 15, 20 minutes here, we're going to talk a little bit about the mycosis fungoides variants. Um, the most important one is the folliculotropic MF, which occurs in about 10% of, of MF patients, seems to be more common in men, and definitely more common in adults. And it tends to prefer the head and neck region, because, maybe because you have more hair follicles there, and patients develop these follicular papules, acneiform lesions, and indurated plaques, and it's often associated with alopecia which makes sense, the um, disease is you know, uh, affecting the hair follicle uh, functioning. 
Uh, these patients are usually quite itchy, and so they can develop excoriations and parigo-like lesions, and they can become super infected by staph aureus again because they're scratching so much and they're breaking their barrier. And of course, these, um, the neoplastic infiltrate is much deeper, right? It's along the hair follicle, so your skin-directed therapies like topical steroids, topical nitrogen mustard, won't make it down to the hair follicle where they need to go. So you really, the only skin-directed therapies that should be used in this case are PUVA um, or total skin electron beam. Let's see. Oh, and again, very importantly, due to um, the depth of the uh, neoplastic infiltrate in folliculotropic MF, these patients are staged as though they have tumor stage disease. They're staged the same as somebody who has a thick lesion. Uh, so when you're thinking about staging them, you want to kind of upstage them um, if they have follicular disease. And just some photos of some patients with folliculotropic disease. You can see this kind of head and neck predilection, and he has this nice indurated plaque here on the forehead. This patient just had follicular um, papules. And I just put this here so you could see just how deep that infiltrate goes. It goes really almost to the sub-Q, which is where the, the hair follicle ends. So, you know, your topical steroid is not going to do the trick here. All right, we talked about this. So pagetoid reticulosis is another subtype of MF where patients develop usually a solitary lesion, usually on the lower extremity. And this um, has a really good prognosis, actually. It's quite rare. Uh, Warringer collop is the, the most common one. It's localized, usually just a solitary lesion. And it's very slowly progressive, and actually no progression, no deaths have ever been reported with pagetoid reticulosis. Um, so again, if you have that patient who has eczema, you think it's eczema, it's just on one foot, um, you think it's tinea, you treat it, nothing's working, consider biopsying just to make sure you're not dealing with uh, one of the MF variants, in which case radiation, spot radiation therapy would work. Um, Topical steroids might work, uh, but not if it's very hyperkeratotic. And then you have granulomatous slack skin. Um, so basically it's a slowly progressive, but patients develop these indurated plaques that sort of chew up the connective tissue and it evolves into this, these uh, erythematous pendulous folds of skin um, in the intertriginous areas, so the underarms, the, the groin. And um, it can be seen in conjunction with sort of your regular run-of-the-mill MF lesions. And don't confuse granulomatous slack skin with granulomatous MF. Granulomatous slack skin has a somewhat better prognosis um, overall than granulomatous MF. Um, the therapy is pretty much the same as MF. You know, PUVA, interferon, total skin electron beam, the plaques are pretty thick, so you want to treat them with the things that can uh, penetrate deeply into the skin. Now, extracutaneous involvement is rare, meaning you won't necessarily find lymph node involvement or blood involvement, but the problem with granulomatous sac skin is we think it's just a harbinger for other lymphoproliferative disorders. So Hodgkin's disease, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma can be associated with this granulomatous slack skin, and they can occur before, at the same time, or after your diagnosis of this. There are about 40 cases reported in the literature 
and about half of them developed a lymphoproliferative disorder, of which a quarter of those were Hodgkin's disease. So if you ever come across a patient who has this or who've, who's had it, and you can't really mistake it because they'll have those pendulous folds forever, um, they should be continued to be screened for, for um, lymphoproliferative disorders. So in summary, uh, the mycosis fungoides and its variants have varied uh, presentations and prognoses. The classic, consistent, atypical algorithm that I showed you earlier is a quick way to evaluate the likelihood that a patient has MF. And early MF is easy to manage with skin-directed therapies like phototherapy, for example, but never hesitate uh, to refer a patient with MF to an academic center where they'll have more access uh, to more therapeutic treatments like radiation, ECP, um, and clinical trials. Thank you. Any questions? That's it. We're finished. The overall performance of the speaker. How useful will this session be in your practice? As a result of this program, do you intend to change your patient care? All right, so we have some questions here. The first one, uh, have they done studies on the increased risk of SCC or BCC in areas of radiation treatment? I believe so, yes. You are at an increased risk for development of non-melanoma skin cancer after total skin electron beam, theoretically. Um, and if you think about it, some of these patients have also had phototherapy. So that's another reason to do good surveillance on them. Uh, you mentioned that darker skin types and younger patients may be more likely to have a bad prognosis. Have I ever seen MF in a white teenager? Would that hold a worse prognosis or more likely to have a more aggressive subtype? I have not seen MF in a white teenager. I've seen MF in, uh, in, an his in a Hispanic teenager, and she had the granulomatous subtype that we talked about. That's one of the ugly ones. Um, so she, and she went on to develop a lymphoproliferative disorder, um, uh, lymph, uh, systemic lymphoma. So that, that uh, makes me a little anxious about young people. But uh, when I have seen young people with MF, it's overwhelmingly been the hypopigmented type and they've overwhelmingly been patients with skin of color and they've overwhelmingly done very, very well just with skin-directed therapies. So in a white teenager, I, I, I would make sure that it's the right, dis, uh, the right diagnosis, and then I would send them off right away uh, to a CTCL expert. Um, let's see. To get the diagnosis of MF, typically how many biopsies and how long in between the re-biopsies to confirm uh, the diagnosis. So I typically get two or even three biopsies from different areas. Um, and again, that broad shave biopsy to get as much epidermis as you can, or a punch biopsy if you think that there's folliculotropic disease. 
uh, so you can get down to the hair follicle, or if it's a tumor, you can punch that as well. Um, if you do a biopsy and it doesn't come back as MF, but based on our algorithm, it's the right morphology and it's the right location, then I would almost assume that it's MF and you just haven't found the pathology yet. Not everyone thinks of it that way, maybe just the people who trained where I trained. But especially if it's early stage, you're suspicious it's MF, you can send them for phototherapy. And at the very least, they're getting treatment and keeping the tumor burden low instead of us just kind of watching and waiting for the tumor burden to get high enough for you to find it. Um, but let's say you decided to do nothing. I would rebiopsy maybe in six months uh, and see, see what you find. And again, make sure you biopsy somewhere that has not been treated with topical steroids and uh, somewhere that has not uh, been exposed to, to sunlight. Any other questions? Uh, Brian, uh, was it just three? Let's see. How do you order flow cytometry? Uh, so now with the EMR, it's, I guess it's, it's pretty easy if you have an EMR. Um, it can be called flow cytometry. It can be called T-cell subsets. That's another way that I've heard, um, heard it described in, on lab forms. Um, and if it's not clear, I would, I would call the lab and tell them what you need. So you need to do flow cytometry in the blood looking for atypical t uh, lymphocytes, and they'll tell you um, exactly how, how to order it at, at, your, at your institution. Have you ever recommended home phototherapy for these patients? Sure, sure. Um, I think home phototherapy is a great option for patients who, um, uh, who work or go to school, and it's really hard for them to come into the office. Uh, but I would usually start phototherapy in the office, um, get them used to the idea, um, make sure that they're not photosensitive, uh, make sure that they're getting some efficacy before sending them home. And I would keep them on a relatively short leash, meaning bring them back every two to three months to make sure that they're um, heading in the right direction. Um, I, looks like that's it, is it? Um, now I'm going to think everyone has MF. Yes, good. That's the only way you won't miss it. <laughs> Thank you so much. This has been a presentation of Dermcast.tv, the official online media resource for the Society of Dermatology PAs.